Psychomedy is brought to you by ThreadUp, Manchester-based therapy that supports creativity. I'm Rafaela Nunes, the founder of ThreadUp and the counsellor supporting the creative community. Comedians and creatives in general can experience anxiety, depression, low moods, and this in turn can affect their creativity. One-to-one counselling can facilitate a safe space for creatives to explore any difficulties, to gain self-awareness, to develop strategies that work, and ultimately to create choices that are aligned with the natural creative flow. If you're in need of support, then please get in touch. Visit threadup.co.uk to book your counselling sessions at reduced rates when you quote Psychomedy. Psychology. I'm Nathan Cassidy, stand-up comedian and Bachelor of Science in Psychology, a subject I've been studying for 25 years. And a quarter of a century of studying the fascinating way our minds work on and off stage alongside being a stand-up comedian for the last 10 years has led me here today discussing the psychology of stand-up comedy with today's very special guest, the exquisite David Mills. David, how are you today? <laughs> I'm great, how are you? I'm exquisite. Yes. You're exquisite. <laughs> I, I choose my words... Very, very carefully. Yeah, well, I'm and you are to be exquisite. exquisite. Yeah, great. Um, so, as normal on Psychomedy, we won't be looking at each other for the duration of the chat. David is uh, sitting up rather than laying back uh, on my sofa. So, David, uh, you're back uh, in the UK after a few weeks in the States. Yes. How is it coming back from sunny California? Well, sunny-ish, yeah, California, uh, yeah. sunnier than here, definitely. It was it was great to be back in the U.S., and it was great to come back after three and a half weeks there. Mm. Um, I always enjoy going, and I always enjoy leaving as well. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, I felt great about being in the U.S., and I really enjoyed gigging there, and I thought to myself, okay, I need to spend a bit more time on the West Coast. Uh, I had some great gigs in L.A. and in San Francisco, and I, I'm... Looking forward to coming back, hopefully, um, in the springtime. Uh, yeah. Also, my family's out there, so I'm trying to spend more time with my dad in particular. So it makes sense for me to go back, and if I can combine that with some gigs, all the better. Nice. And yeah. does, your, does your mindset and happiness alter at all with um, being out there and maybe slightly warmer weather? You know, a lot of people struggle in winter mm. in this country. Well, the thing that really works for me and my partner is distance. <laughs> so uh, we do it particularly well when we're apart from each other. That's when we're at our best. So I, I try to schedule in or we try and make sure we schedule in time apart as much as possible. Yeah. So it's good for the, good for the relationship. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just good to be... London, I love London so much, but it is relentless, you know. And it's not so much about being in the U.S. It's just about being on holiday away from London, even though if I'm working out there or what have you, it's just a break from the kind of go, go, go of London that, that can be so, um, I, think, I, think, I think you get into it and you forget that you're even in it until yeah. you're out of it. 
And then you look at, back at it and you think, what? Look at that lifestyle that I'm maintaining. It's madness. And yeah. then you go somewhere like California and um, my friends, great people, they have good jobs and careers, but they just maintain a different kind of lifestyle. It's just a bit more chill. Yeah. And you think, gosh, it's actually possible. Mm. It doesn't have to be so mad all the time. And London is like, you know, get up yeah. and go all the time. So it's, it's healthy for me to be away from it. Increasingly, yeah. I find uh, that I, I like spending time away from London, but, I, but you know, I'll always return to London. Yeah, but you say it's good to, good to leave the States as well, but if you could have just a successful career over in California, would you choose that in terms of that um, lifestyle? Because I know what you're saying in terms of whenever I get out of London and briefly, um, even if it's Brighton and swimming in the sea and mm. Salt Dean and... Um, it's beautiful and for your mind it just makes you just a lot happier and as you say you only realize sometimes how busy London is and polluted and when you get outside of it yeah um, but then again those areas you can't live there as easily for your career so. well that's part of it but also you know it doesn't take me long before I'm hankering to be back in the the stream of things you know mm. back in the buzz and uh, you know I, I'm addicted to London and I'm addicted to the pace and I'm addicted mm. to the stimulation. So I, what, what I, bits of London like particularly apart from apart from the work or is it mainly the work you're talking about there in terms the work, of the work of course gig? of course the work and the gigging and mm. it's not just gigging but it's the type of gigging we do here and the the variety you know you and me were on stage four or five nights a week right mm. the we take for granted the variety of comedy that we see the different acts. It's actually quite international. There are a lot of European acts. There are a lot of acts from the U.S. here. Mm. Uh, there are different styles of comedy. Even just northern comics coming down and working in, in London, that's a different style of comedy. You know, in the U.S., you really don't see that kind of variety on stage. And here, sometimes you'll see a character act, or you'll see a double act, or you'll see um, uh, a music act interspersed with the other acts. It, it really could, it's really kind of anything goes. Yep. And uh, that kind of variety you don't see as much on the circuit in the US, particularly in LA where everyone is, rightly so, you know, very industry oriented and very kind of TV and film oriented. So everyone's trying to get on TV and film. They're not, you know, they're not some weird character or they're not some crazy anti-comic, you know, like we have here. <laughs> and so I appreciate that and I think that's true about a lot of things in London, there's just a variety and a, a, a variety of experience that is available to us here that I miss when I'm when I go away. Yeah. Uh, as much as that is restorative and refreshing, and this can be tiring, I need to have a bit of both. So yeah, yeah. I, you know, Greta would hate it, but I would love a lifestyle where I could be both in LA <laughs> and in London on a, you know frequently. And I always say, if you can have that lifestyle that's you know half London and half LA well then you've got the Fleetwood Mac lifestyle and who doesn't want to be like Fleetwood Mac right so that does sound ideal yeah so it's a it's a challenge though when you're when you're going to the states and only gigging there for a few weeks I guess to 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 make make a mark there uh, if you're only going a few weeks and then going yeah. back every I mean it's difficult to make a mark anywhere but in yeah. terms of in terms of success generally we've been talking um, obviously to many comedians on this podcast and one of the things that comes out is success is transient success is sometimes very brief even if it's big yeah um, do you think about success at all in terms of 
how you, I mean, you've built a great success in this country, but how you cling on to it and how you can be perhaps more successful on your own to a certain extent. You need the right agent, the right PR, you need the yeah. press on side, you need yeah. TV producers, you need people yeah. holding you up yeah. to have that longevity of success. Do you think about that at all, whether I, in the States or here? I mean, I guess that's that's part of it, but I don't, I don't think that's the way to build it. I think that comes once you've built it. Mm. It strikes me that the way to build success in our world is, I, I, I um, compare it a little bit to uh, my experience in fashion, you know. I, I've had a career in fashion and in jewelry as well for years and uh, to me it's about brand it's about building a brand yeah. and building a recognizable brand that has longevity and appeal to an audience not necessarily the broadest audience but to a loyal audience and that's how you build success long-term success and for me you know my brand uh, I'm trying to build a brand that's about a, a kind of comedy that's kind of a you know, exquisite, hopefully, as you say. <laughs> but, you know, that's it's got a, a kind of an elegance to it. It's kind yeah. of a, a snappy, um, a snappy kind of elegance. I, I hope a kind of relevance and kind of modern, contemporary feel to it. Uh, relatable, yet at the same time, a kind of aspirational. I, I'm talking like brand, like I'm a fashion brand. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, literally, I think of that in comedy as well. Yeah. And if I can, if I can hammer that home and just keep building that and find the people that, that, um, that that appeals to, then I think I can build a long-term success. Yeah, yeah. Well, you do, you do have a definite brand, and absolutely, it is really important. You've got to great review i saw from broadway world out in new york yeah we did the gigs in pangea and it yeah. said one of the most flawlessly constructed nights of comedy one is likely to see and that's a great description of you i think flawlessly constructed yours look great in a in a sharp suit for most gigs and yeah. and the deliveries kind of flawless and uh, delivered with uh, great rhythm let's on that note have a have a listen in to you performing exquisitely <laughs> From a recent gig at Comedia in Brighton, where mm. you're talking about non-binary people, I believe. Oh, and also they went missing. They went missing. I had to go to the police and describe them. I said, okay, they're tall and they're short. They're blonde and they're brunette. What's the problem? The police said, well, how many are they? I said, they're two. And they're one. And they're one. The police said, they're three. I said, they're two and they're one. The police said, they're three. I said, I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to get me to misgender them. Or misgender them. I said, whatever gender agenda you're trying to engender. I thought that was very clever. You can fuck off. I mean, how dare they? Not them, them. So yes, at this gig in, in Brighton, I noticed you weren't wearing a suit. Was there any... I, it was, yeah, that's funny, that. Was there any reason for... Did I can't you... recall. You know, I don't always wear a suit. Um, sometimes I feel like a drag queen in a suit, you know. It really feels like it's a little bit distancing. 
you know, it's a little bit of like an armor. And while that can be good, sometimes it feels, it makes it almost like an obstacle I have to overcome to relate to the audience. Yeah. So I'm looking for ways, and, and in California I experimented with, I mean, I know this sounds crazy, we're talking about look and not about comedy, but it, it is it's important, sort of important though. to me, you know. It's important to everyone. I think, yeah. I think most successful comics do think quite a bit, even if they look like they don't, about what they're wearing. Yeah. They, don't think, they don't think nothing about what they're wearing, even if they're wearing a T-shirt and jeans. Yeah, you know, I think so too. And I yeah. think, you know, particularly if people are paying to see you, you know, it's fair for you to put some energy into that. So anyway, I started wearing uh, recently when I was in California, and I wore it here as well, just a suit with a T-shirt underneath, which a little bit cuts that, cuts the tie thing, which, which is a little bit uh, buttoned up. And this is a looser, kind of more relaxed way for me to express myself, and I, I'm feeling I'm feeling good about it. So mm. that might be where I'm going. A nice a nice compromise between the buttoned up suit and something a little bit less formal, without yeah. being the kind of t-shirt and jeans comic, which occasionally I do, you know, particularly if it's new material or if I'm just you know running around and it's a small gig. Yeah, but. Um, that might be. That must be hard, mustn't it? Though, because you do. It's interesting. You refer to it as armor because you've built up. You built up armor to a certain extent with a lot of things you do in terms of your material, in terms of your experience, but also the way you look is is part of that. Is it not? You know, in terms of um, yeah. I'm looking good. I'm feeling comfortable. So in your mind, you're comfortable to go on stage. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and I think it it differentiates me from a lot of comics as well. That's yeah. an important, I think, important for a comedian. Your mother was kind of uh, part of this, um, like uh, having a look, you know. I've, yeah. I've read somewhere that you, your mom said, have a look um, back in Pennsylvania was where you were. Yeah, where I grew up, Where yeah. you grew up, yeah. yeah. Is there anything from your childhood that you look back on, particularly those uh, first few years of your life, that you think that has really stayed with me for my well, whole life. Well, she, she was very influential in my life and she was very much about a look, you know. She was sort of enforced a look a bit. <laughs> right. Um, enforced? And well, she was very a strong character, you know. There's only so much enforcing you could do with six kids, but she did okay. her best. And um, I didn't realize she was from such a big family. That's yeah. And she, um, she growing up used to dress three times a day. So she would dress for school and then she would come home and she would dress for play and then they would dress for dinner. That was the way she was raised. So she was used to this kind of formality and my dad was not that at all. So we, we had both influences growing up, but um, we certainly didn't have that kind of regime. But she would, it was a lot of you're not going out of the house looking like that, oh. you know. You, you know, all that. And then, um, yeah, so all through high school, you know, I would push the boundaries and they would, they would there would be a lot of screaming matches about, <laughs> you know, what I was wearing or doing to my hair or all sorts of craziness. But I in, in, internalized a lot of that formality and I, I, I really value it. Mm. I get it. And that does stay with you, those things mm. from the first few years of your life, you yeah. know, when... Having studied psychology, it seems the most obvious thing, but a lot of people don't realise it, that the first few years of your life are so important and they stay with you and the way, you're, the way your parents treat you, you know. Formative. Um, yeah. It's, um, it's incredibly important. And is there anything else from your childhood that you think that has stayed with me in terms of becoming a comedian? I've mentioned on this podcast before that 
I always felt kind of slightly more loved when I used to be able to get a laugh out of my parents um, or my family. Is there anything from that from your childhood that you think, like with a family of six people, was that kind of trying to uh, trying to get attention? Maybe? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think we all we all in my we were all very fast in my family, and we all had to. There was a big. There were a lot of us. There was you know imagine eight people and a dog and a cat and mm. just trying to get heard you know you had to be strategic about that and so you had to be funny and mm. we were all funny people and we we could we could banter you know and cut each other very quickly yeah and i have great memories of sitting around the table and all of us you know joking and laughing together and mm. communicating in that way you know, yeah, and uh, so I think that definitely stuck with me. Oh. But I think also just socially, as a kid growing up, you know, I I used humor a lot, and I tried to always tried to be funny and oh. clever, and that's I guess what I'm still doing. <laughs> <laughs> and were you the youngest, oldest, or in the I'm middle third. of those kids? Third. third, okay, yeah, right, nice. Okay, so you mentioned the you, uh, we mentioned kind of an armor there in terms of building up. Uh, Back to that review from Broadway World, um, it was it was exceptional, and I've heard you talking in excited terms about this, and so you should. Did you feel critiques that they are important in building up your mental strength? Um, you know, as 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 much as I want to say that I don't. You know, I give no <laughs> no credit or credence. Well, that's the common answer, but I don't believe it. When yeah, I, of course, c- critics' uh, critique is important to me and positive reviews, you know, I internalize that and negative reviews as well. You know, I mean, unfortunately, you live by the review, you die by the review. And I... Do you think that you live and die by reviews? In what, what I mean to say is if you let, if you believe the, the good reviews, you're going to believe the bad reviews, okay. right? And... I almost want the feeling of a good review so much I will suffer the bad reviews. Do you know what I mean? Like it feels so good to get a good review that even though bad reviews come, of course they come, I'll, you know, oh well, I'll take them, you know, and, they, and I'll feel shitty. But I'll do, I'll, you know, it's like being a stand-up, you know, we will die and die and die so that we can have that one night when we completely smash it. Mm. And it's, it's a drug. It is, I feel like comics, and me in particular, I feel like I'm an addict, you know, I'm chasing the dragon, like they say about heroin users. You're mm. always chasing that high of that amazing gig, yeah. that amazing feeling coming off stage. And listen, I've had great sex and I've had lots of love and I've had all those things. And, you know, I've had some, not lots of money, but I've had some money and great holidays and all those things. Mm. Nothing is better than a great gig. Nothing Mm. is better. It just doesn't get better for me. Mm. And I know it's transitory and I I don't want to say I'm going to throw away everything for that. I'm not. But a great review, a great lots of applause. It's... Yeah. So a bad review then or a bad gig in terms of drugs, it's you think of it like drugs, do you, in terms of like that, that was just a bad trip and I'm a drug addict, so on to the next and this yeah. one will be better. Well, you know what it's like. People say, oh, how are you? And I always think what they're really saying was, how was the last gig? That's sure. what you're asking. 
how am I? Well, last night I smashed it. I'm great. Last <laughs> night I died. I'm terrible. That's how I am. Yeah. And that's people in comedy asking you that. Yeah. I think that's what our lives are. Yeah. Or that's for me. I don't want to speak for other people, but I certainly see it in others as well. <laughs> that's, I guess that's what comedians do a lot in terms of how are you? They mean how are you in terms of, yeah, how was your last gig? How about people that know that you do comedy in terms of family, friends, when they're asking how you are? Are they, yeah, are they I mean, caring how you they're are? They're asking a bigger, broader question. But, mm. you know, the bigger, broad, the, if I, I mean, maybe I'm shallow, but my bigger, broader world is impacted so strongly yeah. by my performance. You know, if, I'm, if it's going well in performance, then I'm having a great time. Life is good. Yeah. If it's going badly in performance, life is hard. Yeah. Do you think that's do you think that's um, healthy? <laughs> <laughs> healthy. Well, so, I don't know. I you know I don't I don't uh, I I I don't uh, you know I don't know. Yeah, it's just for your for your mindset to be as it is with so many comedians controlled to a great extent, or even you seem to be saying here to. A really great extent by how well your gigs are going. Mm. It is, it is, it is dangerous, isn't it? And um, comedians that f can find happiness and contentment and the buzz and these other things from other things, they are going to be, I think, mentally healthier. However, I have I have heard you say on another podcast that you, you know, in terms of comedians struggling for good mental health and. Um, I've heard you say there that that's pot potentially not consistent with being a good performer, and we've had other comedians saying that on this well, podcast as well. Um, I I don't I don't know if it's it's inconsistent with being a good performer, but I guess what I and maybe you're not referring to this, but I I would like to make this point. I think there's a lot about mental health in the comedy world today. There's a lot of conversation about mental health, mm. and a lot of comedians kind of bemoaning the challenge of maintaining good mental health in the world of comedy. Mm. But I'll tell you what, I think we are lucky in comedy. We are lucky because we have something, comedians have something that they want to do. They have an ambition, they have a drive, they have a motivation, something that, a passion, something that gets them up in the morning. They have a desire, a focus. You know who really has struggled with mental illness? People who don't have any of that. People who don't know what they want to do in life. People who have no passion. People who have no direction, no rationale, no uh, ambition. And, you know, yes, it's hard. Yes, there are ups and downs. But for Christ's sake, you've got something. It is a gift. You have a, 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 a desire, something that, that focuses your life, that, that, that provides an ambition, a... a, a a goal, and I think that is invaluable for mental health. What is really hard are these people drifting along with nothing going on, with nothing, you know, try, talk to those people, how lost they are. Mm. That's real mental illness, that's real challenge. It strikes me, you know, so I don't have a lot of, I guess, sympathy for, or a lot of time for the complaints about comedy. Oh, it's bad, hard on mental health. It's, yeah, it's, it's challenging, but mm. lucky us. 
<laughs> yeah, that's such an interesting. Is way that of, am I being a, a no? Bitch? It's a no. That's such an interesting way of looking at it. And to be honest, I I haven't looked at it that way. I do know people who struggled all their life to kind of like, yeah, you know, they're like in their forties or even their fifties. They're like, well, I'm not still not quite sure what I want to do with my life. <laughs> yeah. You know what? That's a hard place to be. That is a hard place to be, and. You know, I, I have a lot of feeling for those people, much more feeling and empathy for those people than for comics who at least they know what they want. Yeah. And they're in the struggles of trying to achieve that. Yeah. I guess the only, well, one of the counter arguments to that would be that you are coming from a perspective of being fairly successful in comedy. And there are, there is, you know, great encouragement from seeing famous comedians and there's a huge amount of comedians coming into comedy every year with possible kind of mental health issues where they've got almost no chance of ever being um ever being successful from it and is the kind of lifestyle that they're getting into in terms of traveling up and down the country to three people for no money mm, and mm. not getting uh, you know having chasing that dream i sometimes think that Again, perhaps unfairly, but if I see a comic that you, I mean, who knows who's going to you know, earn money from comedy. And as you say, we're very lucky to be in that position. But when you see some comedians and they've got issues and they're chasing this dream, they're chasing it around the country and you just think it's going to, uh, it's almost impossible for you to do it. Yeah. I just think sometimes if you were trying, if you were like, <laughs> I don't know, if you were like being an ice skater, if you were like saying to me, I'm going to be an ice skater, and every time I watched you, you fell on the ice and you had no coordination, and you said, I'm going to make money from professional ice skating, and I'm going to give up all well, my, I'm going, to, I'm going to live with my parents, which a lot of comedians do. I'm going to live with my parents. I'm going to give up everything for ice skating. You'd say to them, You can't ice skate. Yeah, but. And you, you, you never will be able to. Well, okay. I, I think there are two things to separate out. I, I think that there's the question of making money mm. and making a career, and there's a question of deriving your identity and your satisfaction from comedy, right? Yeah. Um, we have something that we can, like a craft or a, a passion, that we can, regardless of whether we're successful, we're in it, we're doing it, we're creating it, we're thinking about it. We, we've got colleagues, we've got friends, mates in that world. We have something to talk about. That is a gift. And you can, that can, that can steady the ship of your life if you want it to. Whether or not it will make you money, that's a different story. But I don't think you can... Um, you can draw a lot of happiness and pleasure and, and, and fulfillment from comedy, even if it's not supporting you. And very few comics are supported 100% by their comedy. Yeah. And when they are, it's often taken 10, 15, 20 years to get there. Yeah. So, Which is your position, I guess. Yeah, that, yeah. You, you know, until recently, you've had other jobs. So. Absolutely. But yeah. I've got no money. And I'm, I live very, uh, very precariously. Mm. And I have a really sweet rental deal because a friend rents me a, a, a flat at a really great rate. So I'm very, very lucky. But it's taken, you know, 20 years to get there. Yeah. So 
I think that you've got to separate out the two and that you can you can draw fulfillment and your sense of identity from comedy and have a, a good relationship with it independent of whether or not you're making money from it. You have to sort that out a little bit separately. Yeah. At some point those two things hopefully converge and all you know that's brilliant. But they don't have to in order for you to feel great about yourself as a comic or feel like you're a comic. I heard one comic say, oh, I never described myself as a comic until I was living completely as a comedian. Mm. And I thought like, okay, well, that's good for you. But, you know, people can call themselves whatever they want, regardless of what you think they are. You yeah. know, if they're out there on the open mic circuit doing it four nights a week and they want to call themselves a comic, go for it. Whatever, you yeah. know. So... I think there's a lot of this, this idea that I need to start making money from it immediately much too early. I, I, just don't, I just don't see that happening for most of us. Yeah. And, you know, if you've got to live with your parents or, God forbid, have another job, which I've done for years and years and years and years and years, so you have another job, oh, well. You know, it doesn't take away from anything. Of course not. But, that, but that's it, I think. It, it's, until, it's your, until it's your job, you, you have another job, don't you? If you want to survive. Unless you're independently wealthy. Well, indeed. Indeed. Um, yes, or live with your parents, I guess. But yeah, I think um, I think for mental health, possibly, it's good to, I don't know, good to have another job. I think know. it's not bad for your comedy either, frankly. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. People who have other things going on bring that to comedy when all they got, you know, you get these comics getting up on stage and they talk about their day and all they did was sit around in their pajamas all day long, yeah. try to write. Yeah. Well, how am I supposed to relate to that as an audience member? Yeah. What do you got? You know what I mean? Or this comedian I saw who's, you know, from the U.S. who came to town and they talked about all the hotels he's staying in in the U.S. I thought, like, are you joking? This is your set? This is... I don't want to hear about this. It's been spoken about 10 years as a good amount of time to find your voice as a com comedian. And I, remember, I remember seeing you back in probably 2010, 2011, thinking, mm. well, you already have your voice. And, you know, for, for me watching you, I don't think you've changed a huge amount over the years. But mm. how do you feel in terms of that voice and, um, you know, saying exactly what you want to say in the way you want to say it? And another reason I mention this is that New York review as well. I don't know if mm. you noticed this. I'm sure you did. But it was incredibly um, complimentary, as we say. Um, but it did refer to you as being a character a couple of times. Did you, yeah. did you notice that? I, I don't um, know if I did. But yeah, that's, I think... Do you ever worry that the kind of you know, the slickness and the yeah. Uh, yeah. suited and booted yeah. will come across as that? I mean, it's never come across as it to me. But it well, just reading that in the review got me thinking, do people think it's... A, do you think it's a character? Or yeah, it it's funny. One, one comic I know who's been around a long time that our paths sort of never crossed and um, he has a uh, new material night and I reached out to him and mm. his feedback was like, oh, I always thought you were a character act. His perception, he'd never really seen <laughs> me, but just seen, heard of me and seen mm. reviews and whatever. And he always thought I was some sort of character. And I think that's true. I think that I sometimes can come across as a, a character. In what that, way? Because you know, I know you. But I. It's but hard I, for me to see that because I know you off stage and on stage, and it's yeah. not a huge difference. I mean, there's a difference with all of us, but. I think it's because you know, and it's funny because one time an, an old friend of mine, who I've known for you know thirty years or more, mm. we were at a party. And he, we met someone, 
And uh, this person, we were talking about, oh, what do you do? And what do you do? And I said, oh, I'm a stand-up comedy comic. I'm a stand-up comic. And my friend sort of chuckled. And I looked at him and I said, what are you talking Why are you laughing? He said, you're not a stand-up comic. You play a stand-up comic. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that was very perceptive. Um, you know, I, 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 my, my challenge as a comic is to not get lost in the character and to be, remain re relatable and to talk about things that are personal to me. Mm. It's very easy for me to kind of have a little bit of ironic distance when I talk about things, even yeah. personal things on stage. Uh, I see other comics get up and they're like open books, the sorts of things they talk about on stage themselves and their foibles and their flaws and their... I'm 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 amazed at how naked they are, mm. and I. But that might not be totally hundred percent true as well. It might not be totally hundred percent true, but yeah. but they it certainly feels that way. Mm. And I, you know, I'm like a stylist, you know. So my all my stuff is layered with style, a different language style, a performance mm. style, a dress style. So that's engaging mm. for some people but for some people it really is kind of like too many layers and they're like who's the person behind this mm. and so i am not unaware that i sometimes come across like a character and that is something that i i know is both a um all that style is a real strength mm. but it can also be distancing I've never noticed it, but it's only something from that review. When they said character, I'm like, what do you, what do you mean? And then I suddenly thought, oh, hang on, yeah, if you've never met this person, yeah. then, but I think there's a, it's, it may be, it may be about that element of really seeing the real you. You know, if people don't feel like they're seeing the real you, then of course they might refer to you as a character. And as you say, that, brutal honesty sometimes what is your personal life you know what are you, the problems that you're having yeah. that's something that you maybe don't talk about so much no. do you do you, do you not want to share those things do you not think that's important in your comedy i you know i'm real i am real old school in that i just um my I know the, you. The, I've, yeah, I've heard you being inspired by like Dave Allen and Bob Newhart. Yeah, and yeah. Of, the comics that I that I that I that inspire me are from another era where they weren't as nakedly honest in the way that comics are today. Yeah. You know, real pre, almost pre Richard Pryor, even. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, just didn't share that way. Mm. It was always if they if they if they had something personal they did it in a way that sort of distanced them like a little bit like Joan Rivers like she would talk about stuff but you always knew that she was kind of joking about her life mm. she wasn't really sort of sharing in the same way mm. and I'm a little bit like that you know Rodney Dangerfield or Don Rickles or whatever you know they they talked about their wife or their Whatever, but you know they were they 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 created some sort of character wife that wasn't really their wife. Mm. You know, I talk about my boyfriend, but my boyfriend is nothing like the character that I've created. Right. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, and even me, when I talk about me, I'm not really the the character that I talk about on stage. Yeah. So, 
And do you think that might change at all in terms of you talking I, about I, I, the, I say it's going to change every year and then I never, <laughs> I'm, I never quite uh, am able to crack that nut, you know. But is that part of taking the tie off maybe that kind of it's yes, forcing you it to, is. this it is, is me, this is me a little it bit is. more? It is trying to be a bit more real. And then, you know, it was feedback I even got in LA from a, a great comic and a great uh, person who directs a lot of comedy. And she said, you know, I love what you do, but you've got to let us in a little bit more. Mm. You know, we've got to see who you are in this. Yeah. And, um, you know, that I go, if I go back to L.A., I, I had some great response there, but I could see them getting tired of it and saying like, hey, wait a minute, this is great, all the style and all the, it's funny and all, but they want to connect. Yeah. You know, audiences want to connect now. And that's why you see so many great comics who are great writers and great performers but they just get to a certain level. They never quite break through because they're not, I, this is a perception of mine, they're not opening up and connecting. Mm -hmm. And then you see other comics who aren't great writers and aren't great performers, but they open up and they connect and they go straight to the top. Yeah. Is there anything we talked about, you know, your family and in terms of the way you dress? Is there any, anything from looking back to those family days in terms of being open with emotions? I certainly wasn't open with emotions when I was a young kid with family and, you know, I never mm. said, I never heard I love you. I never said I love you. I never talked about emotions. They were shut down, not from an obvious perspective, but it was just not something we did. Whereas being funny was, yeah, encouraged. Um, so that's a very obvious thing for me. And it took, it took me kind of meeting people at university to really, it took me up to, I guess, university to really be an open person and meeting other people mm. who were very open about their emotions to totally change me and now I'm completely an open book on mm. stage. Mm. Is that something from your childhood that you can look back to? And Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's something about the way I was raised that makes it difficult for me. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I only want to problematize it in that it, you know, I could connect with audiences more and it could be good for my comedy more. Yeah. But I don't feel like it's a massive problem in my life. Mm. Like, I feel like I'm open enough in my life that I get what I need and I give what I need and it's all okay. Yeah. But I, I mean, I don't feel stuck around that sort of thing. Yeah. But, yeah, you know, I mean, I'm sure there's some, some way of looking at my life, like, family and my formative years that could um, point to why it's difficult for me on stage to mm. do that. Do you like yeah. thinking like this or not? Do you like this kind of looking back? I mean, it's obviously a lot. Uh, it's obviously what you do in therapy a lot. And I know therapy's uh, a lot bigger in America than it is in this country. So maybe yeah. you're, moose, uh, you're more used to therapy and this kind of situation is that something you like doing or not really yeah you know i mean i've had various therapists over the years and mm. i've um looked back and gone through and uncovered and you know all those all that and there's probably more there that i could get to if i mm. you know was moved to do that helpful um, has it been helpful yeah it's been great it's been yeah good. it's been good but it's also not like I don't know. I, 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 I think, you know, at a certain point, one can get lost in all that. Mm. And I think that can be a little bit tedious. 
for me yeah. personally, I find it a little bit tedious. You know, listen, we uh, we go to the Edinburgh Fringe every mm. year or every other year or regularly. Hundreds upon hundreds, thousands of stand-up comics up there doing their shows. How many, how many are, you know, going back over their childhood and talking about childhood trauma or childhood challenge and what that means to them today and how it made them the person they are. Mm. I just feel like there's got to be a fresh, some something new. Like I don't particularly want to sit through a, a show about that. That doesn't interest me in comedy. Yeah. And so I don't want to really be that comic. So I just, I just wonder if there's a way to open up and be, connect with audiences without having to have that, kind of cliche conventional approach yeah 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 i guess it's if you are going to change because it's something as i say i've never really noticed it in you but if, if you've got that feedback from other people then it's something it's it's a tweak more than anything mm. dramatic yeah in terms of the future i notice your show's called future perfect this year is that right it's called future perfect but that could change sure so but that's what it's the, called at the moment <laughs> yeah part of the blurb there i noticed was you Pushing back against the messages, telling you it's over, past it and irrelevant to forge a vision. There's something insightful in terms of how you're thinking at the moment. Surely you don't think you're over and past it and irrelevant. No, I Surely don't. No one is thinking. I don't. I I I think that I'm 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 evolving that. I think I've evolved it since I wrote that. Okay. What I'm thinking I'm doing is uh, the show for 2020. I think I'm doing uh, exploring the concept of cool. Yeah. What's cool? And why is cool cool? And what is my relationship to cool and my pursuit of cool and when I've been cool and when I haven't been cool and what's cool? Yeah. And I think that's a, a big thing as I turn 50, you know, and feeling uh, like I can no longer participate in the conversation of cool. Mm. You know what I mean? It's not that I don't feel like I can participate, but there's, you know, you get that message like, okay, boomer you know, you're no longer cool. There's nothing that you have nothing to contribute here. Yeah. And I want to try and push back against that and redefine it for myself. And Okay. So there's nothing in that original blurb that is... Uh, relevant. Do you, <laughs> relevant. Do you feel like when you wrote that, were you feeling like... I mean, do you generally feel that your best work is ahead of you? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I've said it before and I will say it again. Uh, you know, we are wherever we are, however old you are now, mm. and I certainly feel it, you are at the peak of your powers. Mm. You are at your most powerful, your most knowledgeable, your most experienced, you have the most contacts, you have the most uh, lived experience, the most skills than you've ever had in your entire life. Mm. You are the best that you've ever been right now. So, of course, your best work is to come because you're only getting more experience, more contacts, more knowledge, more understanding. And that's true for all of us, you know? So yeah. I, I feel like I'm, you know, get ready, people. <laughs> that's absolutely the way I feel as well, yeah, about you and about me. And yeah, but people do say very different things, particularly if they've had success, big, you know, bigger success in the past. But you know, just coming back uh, before we close, just, just coming back to talking about comedy as a drug, um, so I've seen you on stage many times and I've seen you before gigs and after gigs. 
when when are the highs for you? Because I've noticed you before gigs, uh, not too much anxiety. I've noticed I don't see too much anxiety. Is that something you're hiding, or is that? You, do you get uh, to, to, to I think I'm hiding. I have a lot of anxiety before I go on stage. Yeah, I, mean, I do notice you asking questions about the gig in terms of how is it, and so I, you know, yeah. I spot a, a little bit there. Yeah, I always ask. I, I, I am. I hate opening a gig. Yeah. I hate emceeing. I hate going onto a cold into a cold room. Yeah. Uh, but I do it occasionally, and I'm, and I'm actually emceeing more and more all the time now, which uh, is interesting. Mm. Um. Yeah, I, I have anxiety throughout, but but the best, of course, is when it's working and when you're on stage and you're flowing with it and you are in charge and it's in control and it's going well. Mm. That's the feeling that I'm always chasing. Mm. Um, and you know what that's like. There's nothing. There's nothing like it. So that's the that's the peak. It's, and then it's nice to come off, off stage after mm -hmm. having that can be a really great feeling as well. And you can feel really pumped and really... Do you uh, feel pumped? Because again, yeah. I've seen you come off some great gigs and, you know, I don't notice that particularly. It's when do you feel it? When do you get that hit of a high and how long does it last after a great gig? Oh, it doesn't last long, you yeah. know, but um, I... you like know minutes or... Mm, minutes. I mean, it depends on the gig, obviously. You yeah. know, if you have some, something incredible, yeah. it can last for a while. Yeah. And that, that adrenaline can keep me up into the evening, you know, can keep me up a few hours. Whether it's all positive, you know, is a different story. But um, I, you know, I, I sometimes I, I get off stage and if it goes really well, I, do, I sh shout out a bit, not shout out, but I do a bit, a little sort of look up and just like a little thank you. I mean, I'm not a big God person, but I don't know, you know, my mom or other people who've passed on before me, you know, who are kind of maybe, I like to think of them as a little bit on my side. So I just sort of thank, put it out there. Mm. when it goes really well so that's nice yeah that's that's part of, that can be that can be part of it yeah that's really nice it sounds like from what you've said what's hugely important in your life is the gigging and comedy and nothing you say you talk about sex and anything else it's not as important this is the drug and i've heard you on other podcasts saying this is what i'll do till i die and it's this 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 and um that's great as long as, as long as you can maintain, I don't know, for me, some kind of balance elsewhere. But for mm. some people, it's just not important. We've talked to other comedians on this podcast and nothing else, no kind of, you know, because you've in relationships or been in happy relationships, it isn't important to other comedians. They actively avoid other relationships for comedy. And that's mm. when I think it might be slightly tricky yeah that's not, that's not me entirely uh, um, I think it's important to have some balance yeah but I, I'm grateful that I have something that I care about that's mine and not my partners and not my family's but is just all mine and I can devote my time and my energy you know like an artist who's a painter yeah uh, you know it's it's mine and I it gives me great direction and focus and solace 
something to return to. So many people started 2020 and they're like, well, what am I going to do this year? <laughs> and, you know, stand-up comics were like, I'm already late. I'm already behind. There's so much to do, you know? So that's a great, I feel very grateful for that. And, yeah. Uh, that's great. Well, you are you are an artist, David. Thank and, you. Uh, <laughs> as that review said, you're a flawlessly brilliant performer, and far more importantly, a lovely person who I want to get to know more. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on Psychomedy today. Thank you. And listen, you must come on my podcast as well. Can I can Indeed I plug you it? Can. My I was podcast. About to. I was is, about to. My podcast is called Focus People, and it's a weekly podcast. Uh, uh, a look back at the week and a look ahead to a more dynamite future. And it's me and two guests every week talking about uh, all sorts of sort of free-range conversation about what happened in the week, personal or political, and what's coming up. So, Nathan Cassidy, you must come and join us on Focus People. Thank you very much. Yeah, I've listened to it. It's great. Focus yeah. People. So, thank you. That is our show for today. Join us again next week for more Psychomedy on Apple Podcasts, Spotify UK, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you liked it, please give us a five-star review. It helps other people to find us, and any psychopaths leave three-star reviews. Psychomedy was written and presented by me, Nathan Cassidy, BSc in Psychology, and produced and edited by Mike Hansen, BA English for Pop People Productions, theme music by Mike as well. So that's Psychomedy. Please subscribe, rate, listen back on all the great episodes so far. They're listed in those video clips and more at psychomedy.co.uk. Follow us on social media at Pop People UK, at Psychomedy Pod, at Nathan Cassidy, and at David Mills Department, D-E-P-T. Lots of love. Thank you again, David. Thank you. See you again next week. 